said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to be saved their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? It is now time for children's Bible hour. If you're here this morning and have a child between the ages of three years old and second... Scripture is filled with heartfelt invitations from God to you. He invites those who are exhausted, curious, searching, or in need to find what we need most in Him. Will you accept the invitation? You know, most invitations are for something enjoyable. You're invited to a, to a party, to a wedding, to some type of reception, or some event to celebrate a milestone. And there's even refreshments and good fellowship. You know, usually you're invited to good things. But imagine for a moment that you get an invitation that says, you are cordially invited to suffer. And your suffering may be painful, and it may ultimately lead to your death. How would you respond to that? Ooh, let me check my schedule. Yep, pretty busy. I can't fit suffering in this week. I can't fit death in. Sorry, I'm going to have to pass on that invitation, right? That invitation sounds strange. It sounds absurd. It sounds morbid even. You're inviting me to suffer? You're inviting me to die? No, thank you. In fact, we go out of our way, don't we, to avoid those things, to avoid suffering, to avoid pain, even to avoid death. We, we try to preserve life and prolong life, and, and as long as we're living, we want to be as comfortable as possible. We want to be as happy as possible. That's where our priority is as human beings, right? And yet, the prevailing invitation of Jesus is this, to die. It is to die. You know, sometimes when I hear that and I read those scriptures, to be honest, I, I just want to almost take a pair of scissors and just cut that part out of my Bible. That's difficult. It makes me squirm a bit. It makes me uncomfortable. Just like getting an invitation to suffer and be pain, uh, to experience pain and to die, it sounds absurd. It sounds strange. It sounds morbid. You know, I want Jesus to say something like, hey, come and follow me and you'll have an easy life. You'll have a comfortable life. You'll have a carefree, pain-free, long life. That sounds better, doesn't it? Can you imagine how easy evangelism would be if that was the prevailing message of the church? Can you imagine how people would just keep coming through the doors of the church because that was the message? It would make it so much easier. And yet we know that's not the message. Although you can hear that message in some churches by some preachers. There's a lot of health and wealth prosperity gospel out there but that gospel does not represent the gospel and that's not Jesus's idea of discipleship you see for Jesus his idea of discipleship or following him was that we not only follow him but we imitate him and Philippians 2 we see what it is we're imitating who is Jesus well he is the one who made himself nothing who emptied himself, some versions say, who humbled himself, who became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And Paul says, that's the mindset you are to have. That's the way you are to think 
about your life. You are to follow Jesus, the one who suffered, the one who made himself nothing, the one who went to the cross. That is your example. That is your pattern. And so this morning, I gotta ask you a a question. It's a tough question. It really is. If you think about the implications of this question, every single day, it is difficult. And here's the question. Are you ready to die? I don't mean are you you know, ready to physically die and do you have your, your affairs in order and in your estate in order? I don't mean that. I mean, are you ready to die? Are you ready to lose your life for Christ? That's the invitation. It sounds strange. It sounds absurd. Certainly to people in the world, it sounds so foreign, morbid even. And yet Jesus says, I invite you to join me and death. What does he mean by that? Well, I want you to look at one of these times that Jesus says that. Let's look at Luke's account. Luke chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 21. I want you to notice what Jesus says in this invitation to suffer and die. It starts in verse 21. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone, not to tell what. Well, right before this, Jesus has said, who do people say that I am? And his apostles say, well, they think this, maybe a prophet, maybe someone else. And Jesus says, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And that's when Peter has this beautiful confession of faith. Well, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. You are the Messiah, the one we've been waiting on. And that is the statement that Jesus says, don't tell anyone. Well, why does Jesus say that? Isn't that supposed to be our message to the world? that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Well, in this day, in that context that he was in, there was something that scholars later called the Messianic secret. And basically what that means is it wasn't the time yet for everyone to know so that they came after Jesus. God knew, and God had a plan. He knew that if the world knew that Jesus was Jesus, sent from God, that they would come after him, as we know happened, But God had a plan, and his plan was according to his timing. And so Jesus says, don't tell anyone yet. That day will come, but don't tell anyone yet. So there's the context, verse 22. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. You have to understand how absurd this sounded to his audience. How outlandish, how crazy. It has just been established that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one everyone has been waiting on. The one who's going to help Israel out from under Roman rule, as Alan talked about a few moments ago. The Messiah is going to raise up Israel as a nation, have an earthly kingdom, maybe a military, a government. And now what does the Messiah say right after that? I'm going to die. Not just I'm going to die, I'm going to be killed. It is a shocking statement. And he follows that shocking statement with yet another shocking statement. Look at the text. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father 
and of the holy angels. All four gospel accounts have this teaching of Jesus, this invitation, if you will, to come and follow him. And every time it follows his prediction or his statement about himself having to suffer and die. And it's so out of the ordinary, it's so unexpected, but then, as I said earlier, he follows that up with something even more unexpected. If you're with me, if you want to follow me, then you too have to share in my suffering. You too have to die with me. It's the theology of discipleship that Peter, who was there when Jesus said this, would later write about. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. That's discipleship. That verse has been used in a lot of ways. If you were around 20, 25 years ago, we had the big WWJD movement. Remember that? What would Jesus do? And there were bracelets printed with those initials and T-shirts and mugs and everything you could imagine. It's always funny to me how people make money off of God things, but that's probably another sermon for another day. We had the WWJD. What would Jesus do? You know what I never saw on any of those bracelets or T-shirts? I never saw the rest of that verse. I never saw the word suffer. <laughs> Look back at that verse. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Jesus invites his followers to suffer. He invites us to a self-denying, cross-bearing journey through life that will ultimately cost us our life. You see, to accept Jesus' invitation to follow him means accepting the invitation to die. I'm reminded of the story of Jose down in Mexico. Maybe you've heard the story from Kent or Evan or Umberto, our long-standing missionary in that area. In fact, Kent and Evan and Umberto are in Mexico right now. Umberto is retiring this year, and he wanted to go down there possibly one more time to visit with the people he loves so much. You see, 40 years ago, Umberto went to that remote mountain village called Aquiles. It was so remote, there weren't even roads. He had to park his pickup and get on the back of a donkey and ride into the village. And when he rode into the village, he met a man named Jose. Jose was the patriarch of his family. He was the patriarch of the whole village, which, to be fair, was mostly his family. And Humberto met Jose. And in this village, Jose, his family, the people who lived there, they, they weren't Christian. They practiced this sort of weird blend of Catholicism and Indian mysticism. And Umberto goes there and he shares the gospel. He tells them about Jesus. I mean, this is something that you would read out of Acts. That's, it's this primitive place. They haven't heard the good news. This man goes there, he shares the gospel. He comes back later and continues to share the gospel. He comes back a third time, and when Jose sees Umberto, he says, you need to come see where I'm going to be buried. And so he takes Umberto to his property, and when they get there, Umberto is scanning the area looking for a grave or a tombstone, but he doesn't see that. You know what he sees? If you heard the story, you know. He sees a hole in the ground that this old man Jose had dug by himself and filled with water from the mountain springs. That was where he was going to die. That was where he was going to be buried. 
that was where he was going to be baptized into Christ. You see, Jose knew what we need to know, that to give your life to Christ means to give your life to Christ. It means to die to self, to be buried in Christ, to be raised by Christ, to live a new life, a new identity. Paul said it this way in Galatians 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you were in the youth group several years ago, this, these words may sound familiar. Remember that old devotional song? Maybe we still sing it, I, I don't know. We sing that song, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. We sing that song, but my question is, do we live that life? Do we live those lyrics? Jesus says to follow him means to take up your cross daily. I want you to think about the people hearing Jesus say that in that moment on that day. And really, for the days to follow in the first century, when Jesus said, take up your cross, what did they think of? One picture came to their minds. It was a picture of a criminal, a criminal being punished, a criminal carrying his cross or maybe the cross beam through a public area, being ridiculed, facing shame, walking through this area to the outskirts of town where he would be crucified, where he would die a, a gruesome death. You see, to carry one's cross means to suffer. It means to experience shame. It means painful death. And this is the point where if, if I am Jesus' PR person, this is where I step in and I say, Jesus, <laughs> you might want to lighten up a bit. You are scaring people away. This is no way to get followers. This is no way to build a church. Your words are too extreme. You're not bringing people to you. You are pushing them away. Why don't you try something like this, Jesus? Maybe something like, hey, God helps those who help themselves. Isn't that much more appetizing? Or Jesus, to be honest, people are looking for something. They want something. So why don't you just say, hey, if you need something, name it and claim it, and it's yours. That will go over well, Jesus. You will have followers. Or Jesus, how about we do a giveaway? There's a good idea. We'll give a donkey to the first 500 followers. How about that, Jesus? Let's try that. Don't ask people to suffer and die, Jesus. No one wants to do that. You see, but Jesus wasn't building a fan base. He was building a kingdom. A kingdom so subversive, so against, so contrary to the world's values and beliefs. A kingdom that would challenge everything that we hold dear. He wasn't making a name for himself. He was making disciples. Think about what he said. Think about the elements described when he has this invitation, this calling to lose our lives. Suffering. And think about the world's view on suffering. Think about culture's view on suffering. We don't like it. We don't want to suffer. In fact, we want just the opposite. We want comfort. We want convenience. We want pleasure. We want enjoyment. How about self-denial? Don't talk to me about self-denial. We can talk about self-gratification. We can talk about self-indulgence. Those sound a lot better, don't they? 
What about shame? Ooh, nobody wants shame. We want respect. We want status. We want honor. We want to be admired. How about death? (laughs) We know we're going to die, but we're not looking forward to it. We want life, prolonged life, good life. You see, intuition, that voice inside of us, and culture, all those voices around us, they are screaming one thing, and Jesus says something completely different. The paradox is striking. To gain life, you must lose life. Now, for Jesus' apostles, and for many people hearing him that day, that was quite literal, wasn't it? Many of them actually suffered painfully and literally lost their lives. For us today, most of us won't be imprisoned, we won't be tortured, we won't likely be killed because of our faith, and yet that doesn't remove Jesus' calling, his invitation to lose our lives, does it? Our context is very different. Today, we live in a context, we live in a world, we live in a society that is generally accepting, generally, relatively accepting. And certainly, we live in a world that doesn't just promote things like self-satisfaction and happiness and abundance. It ingrains it in us, doesn't it? We are conditioned to pursue those things, to have more, to be more. We pursue these things, we come to expect these things, and then we get to the point where we are entitled to these things. How ironic is it that one of the things that Christians get most upset about is when they are denied something that they want or think they deserve. Isn't that true? Haven't we seen that, especially it seems lately? So many Christians get so bent out of shape because they don't get something or they're denied something that they want or think they deserve. What if we viewed those opportunities as maybe just a small opportunity to practice a little bit of self-denial? to grow in that area, to experience what it means to say no to self. Rather than protesting and demanding and getting angry, outraged. This past week, I went to the pharmacy to get some medicine. So I went to the drive-thru. There were several cars there. I finally got up to the window, and the young lady working there said, I'm so sorry. She said, we are so behind. Your medicine's not ready. It'll be 10 or 15 minutes. I said, no worries. So I decided I'd just come back later. So a few hours later, I come back, I go to the drive-thru, and there are two huge orange barrels there. (laughs) It's blocked off. And I thought, oh boy, what happened? They just shut down and went home for the day. I don't blame them. So clearly the drive-thru was closed, and I thought, well, I wonder if the pharmacy's still open. I'll just park and go inside and see. So I pull around, I park the vehicle, and I go inside, and yes, the pharmacy is open, but there's a long line of people waiting to go up to the registers to get their medicine. So I get in line, I wait my turn, finally I get up there, I go to one of the registers, I'm talking to the lady, I'm getting my medicine, paying for my medicine, and that's when I hear it. This booming voice behind me. It's the man who was in line behind me, the other register had opened up and it was his turn, and the young lady there says next, and he just stands there, and he starts yelling about the drive-through. She says, may I help you? And he says, yes, you can help me, you can tell me why the drive-through's not open. She says, I'm so sorry, sir, but I can help you now. And he just stands there. He won't go up to the register. He's causing a scene. 
And again, he talks, he doubles down on the drive-thru. Why is the drive-thru closed? Why do I have to come in here to get my medicine? He just goes on and on. I thought, I don't know what medicine he's getting, but get him a lot of it. (laughs) Tell him to take it right now. (laughs) I gotta be honest. I'll confess here, okay? We can confess. I was kind of getting mad. And I thought, I wanna say something. I'm going to say something to this guy. But everything I thought to say was only going to escalate the situation. It was not going to de-escalate the situation. So I didn't say anything. God was like, nope, 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 nope. (laughs) So I just turned to the young lady helping me, and I just thought, you know, I can affirm her. I said, I'm so sorry. I just apologized on the sake, on behalf of humanity to her. I'm so I'm so sorry we're that way sometimes. You're doing a great job. I'm, you know, this isn't, this isn't right. This isn't fair. But I got to tell you, when I first heard him and I turned around, <laughs> in my head, I was thinking, please, please, please don't let me recognize him. <laughs> please don't let him be a member of the Edmund Church of Christ. <laughs> For that matter, I was honestly thinking, please don't have anything on you that represents Christ or the church. Don't have a cross tattoo, don't wear a cross necklace, no t-shirt that has a church name on it. Please don't do that. Because too many times it feels like, it seems like, that's what's happening. Brothers and sisters, entitlement is not a fruit of the Spirit. I don't think it's a mistake that in Matthew and Mark's account of Jesus' invitation to lose our lives, it follows some strong words by Jesus to Peter. Peter, who is thinking like the world thinks, who is responding like the world would respond in a situation. Jesus, remember, has said, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, I'm going to be killed. And Peter says, Whoa, wait, wait a second, come here, Jesus. Uh uh-uh, uh, that's not happening. Not on my watch. There's no way that's going to happen. Do you remember, maybe you've never heard, what Jesus says to him? Strong words, Matthew 6, 23. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Yikes. When Jesus calls you Satan, ye, that's not good. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns strong words I don't know about you but sometimes I get caught up in human concerns I start thinking like the world thinks I start responding like the world responds and I let the world's way of life and its values shape my thinking and my desires and when we do that Jesus says you become we become a stumbling block A stumbling block, not just for what God wants to do in our life, but what he wants to do through us in the world. We get in the way of God's plan. That's not where we want to be. That's not a good place to be. And that's why Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, get out of the way. You're trying to block something that you have no idea what you're doing. You're thinking like the world thinks. Human concerns versus God's concerns. That's the tension we feel, isn't it? You ever feel that tension? What does God want? What do I want? What does God desire? What is the world saying to me? It's that ongoing tension we feel probably every day. It's that tension that 
that should spark good conversation among Christians, and Christians and non-Christians for that matter. It's that tension that should cause deep introspection, evaluation of priorities and decisions and ways of life and thinking and actions. It's that tension that can allow us to actually move closer to Christ and Christ's likeness. It's that tension that often has no easy answers. But God uses it to bring transformation in our hearts and lives. It's a tension that is meant to shape our thinking, to shape our actions. Don't just dismiss that tension. Embrace it. Embrace it. Wrestle with it. Seek God's will. And so let me ask you, in the name of discipleship, in the name of following Jesus, what are some ways you practice self-denial? Let's just start right there. What are some ways you practice self-denial? Even that question is uncomfortable, isn't it? I don't want to do that. Why should I do that? It's interesting, when you look at that phrase, when Jesus says uh, they deny themselves, it could also be translated, and some versions do this, as saying no to yourself. When's the last time you said no to yourself? We don't like to say no to ourselves. Okay, I said no to myself to having a second dessert. Well, a third dessert. We don't like to say no. We like to say yes. And we like to be around people who say yes to us. And we want to live in a world that says yes to us. And when someone says no, that's when we get bent out of shape. What are you doing to practice the discipline of self-denial? If you joined us this past week in fasting as a part of our shepherd selection process in this time of spiritual discernment, then you got a little taste of what it means to practice self-denial, didn't you? Whether you fasted from food or your phone or whatever you fasted from. You got just a little taste of what it means to experience self-denial. I got to tell you, on Monday, about 3 o'clock, whoo, that was after, what, 18 hours of fasting? I got a couple of texts from, from buddies. You said something about every time you're hungry, pray. I've been praying a lot <laughs> over the last few minutes. I felt it too. I was getting hungry. Now, if you didn't participate in that, I'm not here to judge you. I'm just here to ask you why. Why didn't you? Well, I didn't know about it. Okay. Well, I didn't want to. Okay. Well, I don't really say no to myself. Yeah, I, I get it. You know, it's so easy to just dismiss this idea of self-denial because you have a world, all these voices out there and this voice in here saying, you don't need to do that. That's unnecessary. Why would you do that? Why would you say no to yourself? So what are you doing to practice this discipline of self-denial? Maybe it looks like this. Maybe it looks like giving up a life dream. Or maybe pushing pause on some ambition or goal you have in life because there's more important things at the moment. Maybe it means changing your vocation. Maybe from something that doesn't necessarily honor God or your family to something that does honor God and your family. Maybe it's just simplifying your life, getting rid of clutter, and not just physical clutter, but all kinds of clutter. What does it mean? Maybe it means practicing self-control and setting limits on yourself when it comes to the things of this world. Not necessarily bad things, but even things like food. Things like 
all the things we enjoy in life, the things we depend on in life. Maybe it means just learning to say no sometimes to yourself. There's a start. Maybe it's bigger than that. Maybe it means denying sexual desires or certain lifestyles in the name of genuine discipleship and being obedient to Jesus. Maybe it means being more generous, being more hospitable, being more giving. Maybe it simply means learning to get out of your comfort zone, to, to let God stretch you in places and in ways that, that makes you uncomfortable. What does it mean? I know this. I know that it means letting nothing come between you and Jesus. Later in that chapter, in Luke chapter 9, we're introduced to three different people who say they want to follow Jesus. We get just a glimpse of their story. The first one is chapter 9, 57. As they went walking along the road, a man said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Good intentions. Later in verse 59, someone else, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Good excuse. In verse 61, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Good reasoning. Good logic. You see, all of these people had good intentions, good excuses, good reasoning, good logic, and yet Jesus basically says to all of these would-be disciples, you need to leave everything behind. You need to lay everything down and walk with me. Leverage anything and everything in your life that gets in the way of following Christ. And it wasn't that Jesus was saying that saying goodbye to your family is a bad idea or that you shouldn't go bury your father. He was saying following him must be your highest priority. And when that becomes your highest priority, these other things, as good as they are, including family, including friends, including jobs, all of those things, when discipleship, when following Jesus becomes the most important thing, then all of those other things, they don't just fall under that, they do, but they are shaped by that priority and that allegiance. Does that make sense? You begin to see your family and your job and your time and your money and your decisions through the lens of the cross, a gospel-shaped perspective on those things, which then means some of those things probably are expendable. You can probably leave some of those things behind. But it also means your interaction with those things and those people become gospel-shaped, shaped by the one you follow. Remember, we were called to follow in his steps. I like what N.T. Wright says. He says, following Jesus will cost everything and give everything. There are no half measures on this journey. It's going to be like learning to swim. <laughs> if you keep one foot on the bottom of the pool, you're, you'll never work out how to do it. You have to lose your life to find it. Some of us, we want both feet on the bottom of the pool, don't we? It's hard to let go. Before we conclude, we must call attention to Jesus' famous statement that really sums it all up. You heard it. You've heard it before. Luke 9, 25. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? We pursue the things of this world, and if someone offered it to us, we would take the entire world, wouldn't we? And Jesus says, what if that happened? <laughs> what if somehow you were able to gain everything in the world? but it cost you your very self. 
Would it be worth it? I gotta tell you, as I was looking at this, I noticed something for the very first time. I've always read this verse as the last word being soul, not self. Forfeit your very soul. Why does it say self there? Well, actually, in Matthew and Mark's account, it does say soul. In Luke's account, it says self. Two different Greek words. Interesting, isn't it? When we think of soul, we think of eternity. We think of heaven and hell. But you know, so often, before we lose our souls, we lose ourselves. We lose our way. We get distracted. We start to listen to those voices, the one inside, the voices around us. We lose our priorities and our principles. We get busy. We get selfish. We get entitled. And we end up losing ourselves in the vast sea of self. There's that paradox. If we try to find our own way, we will lose our lives. But if we set our focus on losing our life for Jesus, we will find and experience life. And so Jesus invites you this morning, every morning, to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. It cost him his life. Are you willing to give yours? If today you're ready to do what Jose did, you don't have to dig your hole. We have a baptistry. That's the good news. But you can confess your faith in Jesus and you can be baptized into Christ, die to that old self, and live a new life with the help of God's Spirit in you. We're going to experience that this morning. One of our young ladies wants to be baptized. We praise God for that. Why don't you join her? Or if we can encourage you in some way, if we can lift you up in prayer, we want to do that. You can come forward or a couple of our shepherds and their wives will also be in the parlor. It's a room right behind the stage area and that hallway. You can go there, and they'll encourage you and pray for you. They'd be happy to meet with you just for a few minutes. If there's something we can do, we invite you to come as we stand and sing. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will be As you saw, Megan Roberts and her fan club came forward this morning. <laughs> That's great. I love how our youth group does that. When one of them comes, they all come. Many of them come. And I'm thankful for that. I think Megan was at Camp Zenith this past week, and I think God was working 
in mighty ways out there, and she has come back from camp and wants to give her life to Christ and be baptized. Her father, Neil, is going to take her confession and baptize her uh, up there in just a moment. They are getting ready for that. I'm going to uh, come up here because we have a tradition here before a baptism. We read from Romans 6. It's a great reminder to all of us and to those who may be visiting, to those who may be new to church and to the Bible. It reminds us what this is all about, and this fits perfectly with our sermon today. So let me just read a few words from Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus